God wants to do a work for his glory. And it's deeper uh, probably than what most of us realize what he's desiring to do in these days. It's greater probably than what we think uh, because his ways aren't our ways and they're far above everything of our own thoughts. And we, we understand uh, the days that we're in, I believe, regardless of the, uh, the diversity that there may be concerning end times in the timing of things, but I believe that all of us are understanding the context of the days in which we are living. We know that the Lord uh, prophesied, the scripture is a book of prophecy, uh, that reveals to us the times that we come when we enter into the last of the last days. And I know we're all very familiar with that. I want to read it for a purpose this morning, just some of those prophecies, just some of them that give us an insight to the days that there will be when it's the last of the last days and what we are going to live in, what we are, what we know will happen. Jesus says that iniquity will abound. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. And the love of many will wax cold. There will be a, 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 a cooling off of the love of God in our hearts. You know, if more than ever before, Lord, I, I love you as the love is fresh in our hearts and as passionate in our hearts for the Lord. And because iniquity is increasing at such a rapid rate, the love of many will wax cold. Paul writing to Timothy said in 2 Timothy 3 and 13, he said, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, and they will deceive and there will be deception. And we are seeing it's this cycle of deception and being deceived. It's it's new theories and ideas and things that are just uh, infiltrating everywhere. This deception and evil men and seducers, will, it will just get worse and worse. This is the Word of God. This will not change. This is what God has said will happen, uh, what we're revealed to us in the last of the last days. Paul writes concerning the mystery of iniquity. We've looked at it many times and uh, we know that in that, that spirit of lawlessness, there's a, a, a lifting of the restraint that there is in society. And we see then the, the enormous just outpouring of wickedness and evil. That's what you're seeing all around us today. And we have seen that in a very short space of time, very short space of time. I know it, we think sometimes that we've been here a long time, but really, as we heard last night, our lives are just like a vapor of air, and in a very short space of time, this world has completely changed. Brother Tommy Taylor and Gwen called in to see us the other day, and uh, you know, he not made me saying he's 92, and he was sitting on the settee, and he was talking about some building work that's taking place here in, in the yard out the back, Stuart and Gibson's yard, and he said, well, that was called Pig Street, and he says, I used to take a horse and cart from the wood grange and go over to Pig Street, and I used to get my corn there. There's a man sitting in front of me that within his generation, he was still on a horse and cart. Today it's absolutely phenomenal what is happening in the advancement. I know that seems so distant to us, but that's not that far ago. So we see the increase of knowledge. We were talking just a few days ago, the increase of knowledge 
And Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, knowing this first, that there will come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? People will mock the preaching of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's even mocked amongst many churches. People make light of the second coming of the Lord and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all these things continue as they were before the beginning of creation. Paul writing to Timothy says, now the Spirit, 1 Timothy 4 and 1, he said, now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that word is distinctly, that word is emphatically, that the Spirit of God speaketh emphatically and distinctly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their very conscience seared with a hot iron. That's what the Bible says, the last of the last days will be like. I believe probably more than ever that we are certainly living now at least partially in these times. We are actually in the days of which uh, the Word of God prophesies tells us of the days that would come and we are we would do well to take heed to the days in which we are living in. The word of the Lord is sure and it standeth forever. It will not change what he said will happen is happening. We are now living in those days. The tragedy of it is that the mindset, even though we know that there is a judgment that's about to come on this earth, that Christ is about to break forth and come for his bride. But in this reality, you know, we know this morning that the church is not a defeated group. But yet the mindset nearly has come into so many, and I met some on the doors that it's just time to close up shop. It's like nearly you see sometimes uh, our next door neighbor here would have a big poster on the wall, closing down sale. He's not closing down. It's just like a seal or a fire seal. Everything must go. Or the people see the church in some ways like just a car that's nearly come to the end of its age. It's got a lot of miles in the clock. We maybe get it through the MOT one more time. We get just one more year out of her if we possibly can. And then she's finished and it's all over with. But friends, that is such a wrong mindset concerning the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but of the spirit of him that raised Christ from the grave, dwell in you. That same Spirit will also quicken our mortal beings not to live after the flesh, because if we live after the flesh, we will surely die. But if we mortify the deeds of the flesh by the power of the Spirit of God, the Bible says we shall live. The power of God coming upon the church of Jesus Christ to believe God in the days in which we're living, that God is God and there is none beside Him, and that He is the same yesterday, today and forever, and that God would touch His bride one more time. The power of God to touch the bride one more time. These last couple of weeks, we have looked at a man. The first week was King Hezekiah. 
And then we looked at the last king. His name was Zedekiah. We, if you remember, just to jog your memory, the prophet Isaiah had come. Hezekiah had opened the door to the king of Babylon. Isaiah had pronounced that 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 destruction would come to the kingdom of Judah, that Jerusalem would be destroyed, that the treasures of the house would be carried away. Everything was coming to an end. That was the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord standeth sure. His word shall also be performed. What God said will happen will also happen. We see that in God's word. We looked at it last week. The very last king, his name was Zedekiah. And we see there as the king of Babylon takes him out, you remember, the last thing he's seen was his two sons that were slain before him before they took the eyes out of his head and they carried all of them away. Just as the word of the Lord had come, so the word of the Lord was also fulfilled. God is not mocked. What God said he will do, he will also do. His word standeth sure. There are seven kings from Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, and Zedekiah. Most of these kings outside of Hezekiah and Josiah did evil which was in the sight of the Lord. I want you to remember in Hezekiah, there was the prophetic word of the Lord, the judgment was coming, destruction was coming, everything would be ended and carried away and the house would be destroyed. But in the middle of all of that, even though that word had been pronounced, there was a king called Josiah. And this king knew of the prophetic utterance of God. He came to the throne out of after Amnon, his father, was slain at the age of eight years old. Eight years old. And the Bible says concerning Josiah that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. That even though we know that we're living in the very last moments of time and judgment surely is about to come and Christ is about to break through the clouds for his church. Brothers and sisters this morning, I believe that we can rise up in this hour and see the greatest revival the church has ever had. The mindset might be, and there are many on the doors, some I met last week, not to bother with the church, not going anywhere, doesn't really matter. There are many with this mindset that the church is now obsolete and it's now finished. But I want to tell you something. The church of Jesus Christ is the body of Christ. He is the head and he is far above all principality and all powers and he filleth all in all. That is the body of Christ. We need a touch of God. We need the power of the Holy Ghost upon the church to believe God even though we know that Christ is coming. Judgment is coming. It's at the door. As I said last week, I believe that the Lord has mounted the horse and he is about to come. But friends, the greatest hour for the church is today. The greatest moment that we should rise up is today. Second Kings chapter 22. I want us to pick up on this great reformation. Now, I don't want to go through so much this morning. The reformation that took place in detail or teach or preach about it. But I do want to mention some things concerning this great reformation because you will find 
That when you look at the time of Josiah, that it's very similar to the hour in which we're living. You know what just encourages me this morning? There isn't anything too hard for the Lord. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. No matter the rise of the Antichrist system, no matter we see the spirit of, of immorality that's sweeping across our nation, the rise of the transgenderism, the abortion laws that they've brought in, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, this king at eight years old, and when he was 26, something came into his heart. A 26-year-old young man, something entered into that heart that he was going to believe God. May something of that enter into our hearts today. I want to go through, just before we read 2 Kings 22, just some of the things that happened in this great reformation. There was the, there was the worship of Baal that was in the house of God and the groves. This is something that we'll possibly come to if we ever get back to Gideon. But there was a worship of other gods within the house of God. Baal worship and the worship of the host of heaven. Well, Josiah began, this reformation began with, you know, when the kingdom of God suffers violence, the violence take it by force. There was a fervency in the king Josiah. There was a passion. There was something in his heart that, what have we done? How have we grieved the holy God? How have we allowed these things to come into the house of God and be happy or be content with it? And so he brought out the grove from the house of the Lord. He took it to the brook Kidron. He stamped it into small powder. He pulled down the houses. Listen to this. He broke down the houses of the Sodomites that were at, at the side of the house of the Lord. I mean, we're being pressed in on every front from that same house of the Sodomites today. We are being pressed in every workplace, in the schoolhouse, in the employment, in the church, in society, in politics, everywhere around us, wherever you work, whatever you do. The house of the Sodomites is rising and it is pressing in against the house of God. But um, Josiah rose up, pulled down the houses of the Sodomites, and he made a great reformation unto the glory of God. Friends, I want to tell you, it's not about us attacking sodomites. It's not about us trying to malign people. It's about us with the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets men and women free. Because of the blood of Jesus can cleanse you and cleanse me from being a thief an immoral or an adulterer or a fornicator. The same blood can set a homosexual free. Now we are moving to the day you're not even allowed to say that, but friends, we can never be muzzled by this world. Never. And so the houses of the Sodomites were destroyed, the pulling down of the high places. In 2 Kings 23 and 10, it tells us there that they were causing their daughters to pass through their sons and the daughters to pass through the fire to Molech. That's child sacrifice. You might say, well, that's the way back in the primitive days. And brothers and sisters, you know this this morning. I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to hear me. This is not something of ancient practice. This is happening in our country today. Children are being aborted. They're being murdered in the mother's womb. This is very serious. A dear pastor who made a stand 
and said some things and all the politicians are running from him as quickly as possible because they don't want to be associated with him. And he stood outside Creek Avenue and said that the devil is working in there. I want to tell you something. That dear brother in Christ was right. Because the thief has but come to steal and to kill and destroy. Little lives are being murdered in the mother's womb. It's uncomfortable for us. It's uncomfortable for us. I watched a video just a few days ago how people had recovered hospital waste. That's what they call it. Hospital waste. 150 little babies thrown into little buckets. Little lives dismembered, brutally murdered. Sorry if I'm laboring the point. We got to get out of the comfort zone. We got to get out of just living this life in the comfort zone and see the reality of what's taken place, the shedding of innocent blood. Josiah rose up and he made an end of that. It tells us that the altars that Manasseh had made that the, in the two courts of the house of the Lord, Josiah beat down those altars and break them down. He break in pieces the images. He cut down groves. He filled their places with the bones of men. He pulled all the altars of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria. He destroyed them. He took them away. He did them according to all the acts that he had done also in Bethel. The Bible says in 2 Kings 23 and 24, very quickly it says, Moreover, this is what he did. This is the great reformation of Josiah. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits, the wizards, the images, the idols, all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, he put them away that he might perform the words of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest had found in the house of the Lord. And like unto him, there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might. Does that sound familiar? With all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, neither after him arose any like him. He took it all out. He got rid of it all. He renounced it all. He repented of it all. He called on God for God to have mercy upon Israel and God have mercy. This might, again, many might say with the mindset that was Old Testament. If I could just turn you right over into the New Testament in Acts chapter 19, you'll see a very similar great reformation and revival that took place. In Acts chapter 19, we read there that many that believed came, verse 18, Acts 19, verse 18, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together, burned them before all men. They counted the price of them and found it to be about 50,000 pieces of silver and then look what happened. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You see, there's an awful lot of stuff 
that's come into the house of God. An awful lot of stuff that's in the house of God today. An awful lot of things, familiar spirits, things that are in the house of God that we've become comfortable with, that God's not comfortable. And so there is a deep repentance and there's a great turning away from these things. And when they did, and when they repented, and when they burnt them, and when they got rid of them, do you know what happened? The word of the Lord began to grow mightily. God moved. God done a mighty work. Turn back over in the second Kings, if you would. Second Kings, how did this all happen? What happened in the heart of this young king that he would rise up even though the judgment was coming, that he would rise up and take God at his word? In second Kings chapter 22, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. His, name, his mother's name was Jedidah and the daughter of Adadiah of Boscath. And he did that which right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the, all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. It says in verse 3, And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of Josiah, he's now twenty-six years old, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver that is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people, and let them deliver it into the hands of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord. And then it says these words, the repair the breaches in the house. The repair the breaches that are in the house. A breach is simply a gap. A breach is a gap. That's, that's simply what it is. There was a gap or there were gaps that were in the house of the Lord. There was a means by which the enemy could come through that gap into the very house of the Lord. And this king, King Josiah, just simply said, when he seen those gaps, would you go and gather up the men that do the work and let us repair, let us repair those gaps or those breaches that are in the wall. I want to tell you something, friends, when anybody, even in our own lives, when we are determined to live for God and close up the breaches and to really get serious with God, once you attempt to do that, the enemy of your soul is going to be furious. Isn't that true? Once you make a decision, I, I'm, I'm going to turn this around. I'm not going to live this, this sort of half-baked thing in, out, in, up, or whatever. I'm not going to live like that anymore. I can't live like just half-hearted Christianity. I'm going to go all out for God. I'm going to repent. I'm going to get this right. And I'm going to build up those breaches in that wall. See, the moment you do that, all hell is going to come against you. The fury of the enemy will be set against you. Turn over to Nehemiah chapter 4. I'll show you exactly in Scripture where it happened. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6. Again, we look at the rebuilding of the walls. We see a man with a heart to see something built up for God. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 6 says these words, So we built 
So built we the wall. The wall was joined together. That means the, bre- the breaches were repaired. And the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, what does it say? Then they were very wroth. The enemy was furious when the people of God came together as one man and they began to close the ranks, as it were, shoulder to shoulder, to boot out the enemy, to keep him at bay, to give no place to the devil, to stand together as one man for the power and the anointing of God to come upon the bride of Christ. I want to tell you, saints, any church or people across this land, and there are many that are meeting together to believe God for a move or the spirit of God or a revival, they're going to face the fury of hell. But thank God this morning for Jesus. We must identify these things. Any soul, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl that is going to get a hold of God and allow God to get a hold of them, and build up the breaches that are in, the, in that home or in that life. I'm going to tell you something. Hell's not going to play dead. You're going to face what the battle really is. We're going to wrestle against those principalities and powers. Thank God we have the victory in Jesus. But we have a conflict. There is a conflict. It might be easy this morning. Leave all the gaps in the wall. Everyone just relax and we'll just seal on in and whatever comes in, whatever seducing spirit, whatever whatever fad, whatever doctrines of devils come, don't preach against it. Don't stand up against it. Don't pray. Don't believe God for souls. Don't believe God for revival. Just seal on in to the end when Christ comes. But anyone that stands up with a passion for God is going to face hell. But thank God this morning they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony not loving their lives unto death. There's a battle, isn't there? I want to get serious for God. Many of you really got a hold of God and God got a hold of you, touching your life at any time. And you said, you know what? I'm really going to get going for God. And then all of a sudden, everything comes flooding into your life and everything begins to go wrong. That ever happened to anybody else? Once you set the seals to go for God, we're going to face the battles. But thank God for the battles. You're in the will of God. You're walking the king's highway. You're on your way to glory. And victory's coming. But we've got to stay the course. Once you begin to repair the breaches, close the gaps. This king, 26 years old. Think of it, 26. Sitting there, he's king. He's got all his robes on. Something comes into his heart and he says, would you go down? We need to fix those breaches. There's gaps by which the enemy is coming in, the lives, families, the homes. Friends, I want to tell you something. I don't want to overestimate it or underestimate it, but I believe that the enemy is buffeting this little fellowship. Trials and homes, problems, health problems, troubles in mind, discouragements, not knowing where to turn, seeing 
Things get worse when you're praying the more. Has that ever happened? The more you've prayed and believed God and everything seems to get worse. Has that ever happened to anybody else? I want to tell you something. We're going to believe God. We've got to repair the breaches. How is he getting in? And so we begin to build and repair those breaches. You know, in that house, that's a physical house back then. This is a house of God. This is a spiritual house. This is not just a physical gathering, which is important, but it's a spiritual house. Let me bring it to you this way. You see, so often because we're in the natural realm of thinking, we talk about the breaches and the gaps and the hedge and so forth, and okay, well, how does that work? And we just carry on. We don't really do anything about those gaps. We don't really put anything out. We don't really get anything sorted in our lives. But we carry on. But let's just put it this way for an example for us to see. We're all on this ship together. And we're sailing across this great ocean. We're singing that great children's song. With Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm. And then the storm comes. It's easy to sing it when there's no storm. But then the storm comes. And then the old ship, we're all in the ship together. We're on a ship this morning. I want you to try and imagine it. You're on a ship. We're going across the ocean. We're sailing home, praise the Lord. And the ship somehow or another just runs along an unidentified object like a rock and rips open part of the hull. Remember starboard and port and stern and all? Remember you used to do on the BB, Trevor? And you had to run across, and then the captain's coming. You had to scrub the decks and everything else. But there's water being taken on. And the call goes out. There's a breach. There's a gap. If we all don't help to get the water out, to get the devil out, to get the thing right, if we all don't join together to work, the whole ship's going down. And I tell you, if we were physically on a ship, physically all together, it may never be possible. But if we were all physically on a ship together this morning, if it was real, put yourself in this here, and the call comes out from the back of the hall, we're taking on water. There's a breach. I think, I, and I think this, I just believe this, an awful lot of people would waken up. An awful lot of people might suddenly, just like Jonah when the shipmaster came and says, Why sleepest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon your God. I think if it was the natural, what that shows me is, friends, that we're so conditioned by the temporal. We're so worried about losing the natural. But I want to tell you something. We really should get the priority right this morning. It's the spiritual. It's the spiritual. And so the breaches were access points whereby the enemy could come through, whereby the enemy could get in, where he can get into our, our lives, into our homes. He can work a work a way in to try and bring discouragement, to try and pull us down, to try and bring division to try and separate, to try and divide, to try and destroy. He hasn't changed. He's looking somewhere in all of this to find a gap. And if he can find the gap, 
They're like those wee sheep in our lane, the two wee black ones were driving down, and there they're standing in the middle of the lane. They'd find a little gap to get through, and they can't get back in. Sheep find a wee hole, and the enemy's looking for a wee way in. I want to tell you, friends, when he gets in, you know what it says? We often said, you give him an inch, I tell you, take more than a mile. And so things come in and the enemy begins to work. And the king's desire was to repair the breach. That's all it was. There was actually nothing else. He didn't say anything else. He, he just says there's a breach in the house of God. There's a breach. There's a gap. Can we get the men in order that we might do the work and that we would just repair that gap and so that enemy can't get in? That's all it was. But friends, sometimes... At the beginning, just of a simple desire and even a little bit of revelation or knowledge that you and your heart are saying, I wonder what's in this. You have no idea that if you take that first step of faith in God and believe God, you have no idea what God's about to do. It's not in the big things, it's in the wee things. It's not in the big leaps of faith. It's just in that simple step of obedience and faith in God and you have no idea what God's going to do. He just looked at his heart. Can you take that first step? And he began to repair the breaches in that house. Verse 4, they say there that the, the work of the Lord, they delivered into the doers of the work to have the oversight of the house, the doers of the work of the house of the Lord, and the breach began to be stopped. Verse 8, sorry. It says then, And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, In this work, this is amazing what happens. The next thing that happens, he says, I've found, listen, look what I've found. i found something, we're doing this work. I've found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Think about what's happening. Do you see how God's working? Do you see God's hand in this? So often we don't see the hand of God working, but this is the hand of God. The king just wants to repair the breaches, get the house right. But now it tells us that the high priest and the scribe, he says, have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And he gave it to the scribe and he read it. And then he, the scribe, Shaphan, the scribe came to the king and brought, king, brought the king the word again and said, Thy servants have gathered them up. We've done everything that you've said. We've delivered it into the hand of them that do the work. And Shaphan, the scribe, verse 10, said, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, had delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, here it is, friends, listen. Here it is. He rent his clothes. The word, the word of God. I want to ask you, friends, this morning, and I ask you, I ask myself first, I want to ask you this morning, does God's word still have an effect? In your life. Does God's word. Still have an effect. In your life. I can see the scribe standing. And the king sitting on his throne. With all his robes. And I see Shaphan. He's standing there with the book. The word that's been found in the house. 
and he just simply begins to read the Word of God. He's just standing, and the king's sitting on his throne. He's a, a young man with a passion for God. He wants to see the, the breaches repaired. And as the scribe begins to read the Word of God into the years of this king, the king, what the king does, he gets off his throne, and he gets his royal robes, and he rips them. Does the Word of God still have an effect? Does it still have an effect in your heart? Let me ask you, friends, when's the last time that you've read something in the Word of God and it so thrilled your soul or it so brought a brokenness to your heart that tears have began to run down your face because it's God's living Word? When's the last time that you've opened the pages and you know that as you read it, you've maybe read the same verse a hundred times before, but it's like the Spirit of God takes a hold of the words of the page and illuminates your understanding and something, something of heaven comes down and floods your heart and you begin to weep and you begin to understand the fullness of something of the revelation of Christ in your heart and your tears because of the Word of God. We want to see a move of God. We want to see a revival. We want to see a stern of God amongst the church of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you, friends, where I believe it starts. It starts right here. It starts with the Word. The Word of God as it's proclaimed or as it's read or as it's listened to, that there's a heart that's so tender that the Word of God, the seed of God, the incorruptible seed of God's Word plants and touches a heart that's fertile and something happens. Something beyond the realm of the outward happens in the heart and the king gets off his throne and he gets a hold of his robes and he rips his robes from his back. What is that a sign of? It's a sign of a man that's broken. It's a sign of a man could be sorrowful. It's a sign of a man that's gone through great trial. It's a sign of a man that's under deep conviction. It's a sign of a man that knows that God has grieved. It's a sign of a man who's got a heart that's humble before the Lord. The outward, the turning off, of the clothes. I know you're probably well ahead of me that the Bible says to rend your heart and not your garments, but the outward symbolism of the ripping and the turning of the garments was crucial because it gave an indication of a king's heart. You know, God, the outward tearing is a sign of the inward of a broken heart. The psalmist says, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. We need, in a metaphorical sense, to rend our garments. I ask you this morning, what garments did you wear? I'm not talking about these ones. What garments did you wear coming into God's house this morning? What robes have you got on? What robes when you walk through the door? What's your robe? What are you wearing? Some people have walked in through these doors this morning. They're wearing robes of self-pity, of condemnation. They feel they're unworthy. 
Can I tell you something, friends, this morning? You need to rip those robes off. No, you need to rip those robes off. There's not one of us worthy this morning, but He's given us a robe of righteousness. But there's some maybe come in this morning, they have robes of self-righteousness. It's all about me and how I do it and my works. Maybe some have come in this morning, the robes of self-respect. Maybe some have come in this morning, robes of, and I hear this all the time, friends, but I'm maybe starting to struggle with it a, a little bit because it's not biblical. Robes of personal revelation. I believe there's an awful lot of robes need to be ripped off. There used to be a wee woman in Beaver years and years ago. She actually frightened me, really did frighten me. And the wee woman's head maybe wasn't right. She lived down by the wee shop. And when you got on the bus, she used to, just a couple of stops down from our house, and I would be on the bus. And even in secondary school, believe it or not, she still frightened me. But she had... She used to wear those big long anoraks. They're all back in again. The big long anoraks. And on all the anoraks you had, it was the strangest things you had, all these headlines. Newspaper cuttings stuck all around her back, up the whole way around her back, all down her front she got on. She was a woman that was filled with opinions. If you come in through the door this morning with a robe, Filled with opinions. God, let's rip off the robes of being judgmental and opinions. Because there's not one of us this morning have a right. We come in this morning, friends. What robe have you worn? Here's a king. Here's a king. When the word of God touched his heart. Listen, here's a king. When the word of God touched his heart, he got off his throne and he pulled his robe off. I want to tell you, friends, we want to see something really happen. I tell you what's going to have to happen. And I put a circle around me first before anyone else says it. I want to rip off every robe of Tim McElrath. And the only robe I want to wear is a robe of righteousness. You want to know something? We've all got the same robe. There's no big people. There's no wee people. Isn't it wonderful to be saved? You see, I heard a preacher say this. It's not original. He said, beneath every robe that a Christian should wear, Underneath should be an apron. Underneath every robe, there should be an apron. We really want to be used of God. I want to tell you what that means. Under every robe, there should be a servant's heart. Oh, I want God to really use me mightily. I want to tell you something. The example is this. He riseth from supper. He laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. And he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash their feet. 
Are we willing to lay aside our garments? Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Oh, to be like Jesus. Will you lay aside your robes? Will you lay aside your garments? The profound thing that happened here is Halkiah the high priest went to the prophetess, went to find out the word of the Lord. What is the word of the Lord? What has he got to say about this? Here's an amazing thing just to point out in the scripture. He went to a prophetess. Her name was Huldah the prophetess. She was the wife of Shalom. And Shalom, believe it or not, he was the keeper of the wardrobe. It's beautiful the way the scripture all ties together. If you need a fresh garment this morning, I want to tell you something. The keeper of the wardrobes here, it's the Holy Ghost. And if you need fresh garments, washed in the blood of the Lamb, whiter than the snow this morning, praise the Lord, he's able to give you a fresh garment. Isn't it wonderful to have, is your, is your garments white, washed in the blood of the Lamb? My robes are white this morning. But you went to the prophetess. I want to show you something that's really important because we want to see something profound for God in these days. I believe that everybody does. But the prophetess said something about the king that I believe is the secret. We've been praying for revival, praying for a move of God, praying for God to touch his church for, for years and will continue until the revival comes. But there's some things, and I know there's a mystery between the prayer and the sovereignty of God in revival. We can't tie it all together, but I do believe the church is a responsibility. The secret was this. The prophetess says, see the man that sent you. This is what he said. Because, verse 19, thine heart Listen to this. Thine heart was tender. Isn't that amazing? Didn't talk about his wealth, his riches, his abilities, his talents. The prophetess said, because the heart of the king was yet tender. If we really want to see something built for God, Really, God, to move. I want to tell you what needs to be in the house of God. There needs to be a tender heart. Can I ask you this morning, is your heart tender? It means is it soft? Is your heart tender? What's in your heart this morning? You see, we find it, if you just keep your finger there, but go into 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 5, we see in the building of the temple, why it's significant or why it's important to have a tender heart in God's work. You want to see something really happen. In 1 Chronicles 22 and verse 5, David said, Solomon, my son, 1 Chronicles 22 and 5, Solomon, my son, is young and he is tender and the house that is to be builded for the Lord. Listen to what he said. I love this here. The house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent or magnificent. If it's going to be for the Lord, it's going to be magnificent because the Lord deserves not to be magnificent. But what was he looking for a builder? The builder's heart. The builder's heart was to be young 
That's not just about age and tender. You know, you can be old, but you can have a young heart. All the old people say, Amen. There's only four old people this morning. Anybody over 50 remember? Say amen, praise the Lord. It's a young heart. You can be a hundred years old and have a young heart. You can be 15 years old and you can have a hard heart. The heart is not conditioned by years. It's conditioned by a walk with God. That's how the heart's conditioned. You may have all the knowledge in this world, but that knowledge, I want to tell you, friend, it's not that it's wrong not to have knowledge, but you may have all the knowledge in the world up here, but see if your heart's not soft. I want to tell you something, and that's why many will die with a head filled with knowledge, but a life that's empty before God. This house that he's building is magnificent, exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all the countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. And this is a wonderful type. So David prepared abundantly before his death. And I tell you, friends, this morning, the Lord has prepared abundantly in his death for his church. Abundantly. The church that he's building, I don't care what anyone says, and all the opinions of men. There are many people already living in the millennium. I want to tell you something this morning. This is the church age. This is the age of grace. And thank God he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it's a magnificent church. Not an amen. What he's building is magnificent. Why? Because it's for him. How does he build? We want to see something happen in Balnehens because it hasn't even happened yet. Can I say that again? It hasn't even happened yet. Yes, God's blessed us with buildings, but I want to tell you something. It hasn't even happened yet. But it is going to happen. What's he looking for collectively? See, everyone's got a responsibility towards the breaches. He's looking for a tender heart. Do you know, I want to tell you, I want to testify this morning. Years ago, I remember when God touched our lives, it was profound. We were living, doing the thing, all the Christian outwork stuff, all the outward things, all the mechanics of all of that, full blow, right the whole way, run out and run out of steam. Our lives were empty as Christians. Listen to me now. Being very honest, our lives became empty as believers. It was our fault. It was nobody else's fault. I'm not blaming churches or anybody. It was me. And Nicky won't mind me saying it was us. And our home was empty. We were Christians with a name. There was an emptiness. But I want to tell you something, friends. There was a day that happened so wonderfully and so powerfully that God touched our hearts. I want to tell you something. There's nothing like that fresh touch of God when he just touches your heart again. 
There's not, you know, with all the battles and all the resistance and all the troubles and all the things that are going on in our lives and we come in and we maybe just have the religious robe on most of the time because we're just protecting ourselves. But then there's something, there's something profound, there's something so wonderful, there's something so magnificent when the Word of God just touches a heart and the heart melts. I asked you this morning, is your heart soft? Is it tender? Maybe your heart's bitter. Maybe your heart's filled with disappointment. Maybe this morning you have a divided heart. Maybe this morning you have a broken heart. Can I tell you something? I want to encourage you. He's very near to the broken in the heart. And so it says there that David prepared abundantly in his death and he called Solomon's son and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. In chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles verse 1, it says these words, Furthermore, David the king said unto the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord. I want to tell your friends this morning, it's all for the Lord. It's all for him. It says that he humbled himself and he rent his clothes and he wept. He wept before the Lord. You know what the Lord said? I've heard thee, saith the Lord. I've heard. Friends, I don't want to over-labor it, but I will labor it this morning again. Is your heart tender before the Lord? It's a tender heart. Is your heart tender before the Lord? The Bible says that he gives grace to the humble, but he does resist the proud. God resists the proud in their heart. I'm asking you a question. Is your heart tender? We want to see the work of God built. We want to see the breaches closed off. We want to see something built for the glory of God and souls saved, a breakthrough even tonight in this very hall. A breakthrough. God would move. You see, the spiritual atmosphere, I want to tell you, friends, is so important to the preaching of the gospel. Something wonderful happened to close this off this morning. Back in 2 Kings chapter 23, the great reformation is breaking out all around him. The enemy's being put out, the repairing of the breaches. His heart was tender before the Lord. But in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 21, I just want to point something out to close this morning. This is also found in Chronicles. It's recorded in more detail in Chronicles, which is very profound there. But it says here that the king commanded all the people, 2 Kings 23, 21, saying, Keep the Passover, keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this covenant. And it says this, Surely there was not holding such a Passover from the days of the judges that judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel, nor of the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of the king Josiah, wherein this Passover was holding to the Lord in Jerusalem. It's actually profound. There was a Passover held that had not been held in this fashion since the days before the judges, Samuel, 
before the days of the judges, they hadn't come to the house of the Lord in this manner to remember what the Lord had done for them. Back in Egypt, when that lamb was slain and the angel of death passed over and they came out of Egypt, delivered by the mighty hand of God. And here is, as it were, a revival or a restoration of how they should remember the great work that the Lord had done. In Chronicles, it tells us that they put all the singers in the place and everyone came. At that time, before the Reformation, priests and everyone had their own little private worship sessions all over the land. But Josiah brought it all back to Jerusalem that they'd worship him in spirit and in truth and they remembered the Lord like they hadn't remembered him before. There was a great remembrance of the Lord and what he'd done and the singers began to sing and they remembered the Lord and it hadn't been that way before in generations. What a revival. I want to tell your friends something so much greater than all of that. And we did have a precious time around the table this morning, didn't we? Did you sense the presence of the Lord? Did you know he was here? Was it fresh? When we sang the little chorus more than ever before, Lord, I love you. See, when we sang that, when we sang that little chorus this morning, more than ever before, Lord, I love you. Was that true? More than ever before, was that true? Friends, I'm asking you a question. Was it true? Was your heart so touched with the love of God this morning, that out of your heart you said, oh God, see more than ever before in my life, Lord, I do love you. I want to tell you, friends, that should be the way it is for every single one of us. That we love him more than we've ever loved him before. I want to tell you, I'm going to be honest, before anyone else says anything else, too many times, too many times, I don't love him like I should. Oh, but you're the pastor. I want to tell you, friends, I'm a very frail and weak man, but I do need the love of God, and I do want to love him more. Is your heart soft? Is your heart tender? Can the word of God still affect your heart? Can it still break your heart? Friends, this morning, it might be that some need to rip off a few robes because the only thing we trust in is that robe of righteousness, nothing else. May the word of God have an effect. May it grow mightily. And may God do a mighty work among us more than ever before. Can you say it? Lord, I love you. And see if you can't say it, if you want to be honest this morning, know what to do? Just open your heart. Say, Lord, help me to love you more this morning. I want to love you more. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord.